Welcome to our podcast from the Ark Insider, the Africa-focused podcast offering some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation touching on news, current affairs, culture and other ongoing topics of interest. I'm Karen Allen and I'm speaking to you from South Africa. My co-presenter Tara O'Connor, the Managing Director of Ark, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy firm Africa Risk Consulting, joins me from France. We both live, breathe and work African affairs. And our podcast aims to stimulate ideas among those who share a fascination with this part of the world. Tara, welcome. Good to talk to you again. Hello, Karen. I'm actually speaking to you from the Gers region, which is south of Toulouse and close to the Pyrenees, Karen. Sounds idyllic, Tara. Well, we're still talking a lot about the corona pandemic for obvious reasons. Some very high-profile figures from the world of politics in Africa are among the latest to have been affected. Not only that, but there seems to be some element of vaccine chaos. There's pressure from the media in South Africa to get the government here to accelerate the rollout of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And over in Europe, where you are, confusion and concern as more and more countries ban the AstraZeneca jab over fears about possible side effects. That despite the fact that the World Health Organization guidance is that at the time of recording this, there are no proven links between the vaccine and an increased risk of blood clots. So that's a story that's been very much dominating. A little later in this podcast, Tara, we've got a great guest from Kenya, haven't we? Um, She's a woman who heads up one of the biggest corporate law firms in East Africa. We'll be chatting to her, amongst other things, about the winners and losers in business terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Of course, Kenya was one of those countries that didn't go into hard lockdown at the outset. We'll be talking about trade and about African women and the law. Is it still very much a man's game? First, though, we have got some news to focus on. Let's remind ourselves of some of the main stories that have made it into the headlines since our last podcast. President Akufo Addo leads by example by getting the first COVAX jab in Ghana. We want to start with a developing story in Nigeria where reports are coming in of another mass school abduction, this time in the northwestern Kaduna state. Tanzanian President John Magufuli has died from a heart condition. We begin this hour in Equatorial Guinea, where at least 20 people have been killed from a series of explosions at a military base. One person was killed on Wednesday after police fired rubber bullets to disperse a group of protesters at DeWitt University in Johannesburg. Picking up on one of the stories that have attracted attention, Tara, is the official confirmation that's come in just as we record this that the Tanzanian president, John Magafuli, has died aged 62. Now, of course, for the past two weeks, there'd been fevered speculation about his whereabouts and whether indeed he was suffering from COVID-19. Now, the official cause of death, we're being told, is due to heart failure, and he has been suffering heart problems for some time. But we don't know for sure if his death was linked to COVID-19. Now, that's relevant, of course, because Mr Magafuli was something of a COVID denialist, shunning masks and claiming that the vaccine programme was a Western conspiracy. And instead, he encouraged the Tanzanian people to turn to untested herbal remedies and potions offered by his neighbours in Madagascar to try to combat the disease. We may never know whether COVID was the final uh, end for him. But nevertheless, you can imagine a lot of conversation about that. I think from a World Health perspective, Tanzania has been particularly problematic because Magafuli stopped all recording of infection rates in May last year. And so no one knows how far COVID has spread amongst the Tanzanian population. 
And that creates all sorts of problems with neighbouring countries and the risk of spreading it to other countries that have taken steps to curb infection rates. Yeah, be interesting to see if there's more transparency moving moving forward. Obviously, the big pressing issue now is the question of succession and the vice president, a woman by the name of Sanya Suluhu Hassan, is stepping into the fold. And there seems to be some confusion, doesn't there, Tara, about whether she will assume the role of president for a full term, which would effectively make her East Africa's only female premier, or whether there'll have to be fresh elections in a year or so, because the country only went to the polls at the end of last year, didn't they? Have we got any more clarity on that? Well, yes, I've actually had a look into this. And Tanzania's constitution, it seems, provides for the vice president to assume the presidency on the death of the president. And as you said, Magafuli had only really just been elected. So Hassan has now been sworn in and also will have a say in the appointment of the vice president and so can probably influence the country's direction for a possible eight years. But all eyes now are on who becomes vice president. Yeah. Now, I wonder whether this change of leadership um, or this potential change of leadership, at least in the number two spot, signals any kind of change for the business environment. To be honest, business conditions can only improve. They can't get any worse. Uh, Under President Magafuli, the business environment in Tanzania became very difficult indeed. It deteriorated dramatically. An early anti-corruption campaign did curb bureaucrats' excesses, but it was followed by a really arbitrary targeting of business as the regime became more and more uh, authoritarian. And it actually demonstrated a very anti-business approach. Mining exports were at one point banned and the mining laws torn up forcing mining companies into very disruptive, long and costly negotiations, renegotiations, I should say. And local manufacturers reported that officials would pitch up with tax demands based really on the whim of the president and not on business performance or trade. And the proof is in the pudding. Under his stewardship, under Magafuli, growth halved and several businesses left. And whilst we're talking of leaders, we also have had the news, Tara, of the death in South Africa of the head of the Zulu nation, King Goodwill Swenantiri. He's died aged 72. He was quite a divisive figure, both historically under apartheid, but also more recently when he challenged the governing ANC's policy of expropriation of land without compensation. Now the process of selecting a successor out of his 28 kids, cultural advisors tell us, it could take several months. Yes, he was a very controversial figure in my recollection. A very divisive figure in the apartheid area. He was obviously um, participated in the apartheid homeland structures. Um, And with his prime minister at the time, Mangasutu Butelezi, he presided over what can only be described as the killing fields of KwaZulu-Natal, when several thousand people were killed in orchestrated political violence at the end of apartheid. And more recently, he became controversial in that he was the sole trustee of large tracts of land that were again 
part and parcel of a, well, a hangover really from apartheid negotiations and which is why they have become a target for the ANC's policy of land uh, expropriation without compensation. That and a number of other tracts of land that have been handed out to um, the traditional uh, traditional leaders of yeah. South Africa. Yeah. Just finally, another story which caught my eye, um, the protests in Senegal. You'll recall that at least eight people were killed in demonstrations following the arrest of opposition leader Usman Sonko just the other week. Now, young people were really at the heart of those protests amid concerns about lack of economic opportunities. And I guess it's remarkable, this story in Senegal, for two reasons. Um, it was organised by the opposition movement to defend democracy, the M2D, and these protests were youth protests. And they remind me very much of what we saw in Uganda recently with the protest led by Bobby Wine, who challenged one of Africa's longest-serving leaders, Yoweri Museveni, in recent elections. Now, as we speak to you, uh, Bobby Wine has been arrested once again. What's happening in Senegal is clearly not an Arab Spring moment, but it does underscore the potency of the ticking time bomb of Africa's youth, bu- youth bulge. The second thing that's worth noting is that Senegal always gets held up, doesn't it, by the West, as a, a beacon of democracy. Now, although protests are, of course, a democratic right, Usman Sanko, the opposition leader who faces allegations of rape, which he says are politically inspired, um, if it is the case that we're seeing the incumbent, Maki Sal, use uh, the pretext of protest to crack down on democratic space, he will face more and more accusations that he's trying to set the tone ahead of the elections in 2024 and try to effectively squash any opposition. Makisal has got form in this and we will probably never know the truth of the rape allegation because of Makisal's interference with the justice system. He has established a pattern of seeking to imprison opponents well before elections. The ex-mayor of Dakar, Khalifa Saul, and the former president's son, Karim Wad, were both imprisoned on what were described as trumped-up charges of embezzlement and corruption to prevent their candidacies. And it's worth remembering that Sanko came third in the last elections and therefore is the only real threat to this year's local elections and the 2024 presidential elections. And Makisal's interference both in the justice system and the political uh, political elections is really his legacy. And Senegal has a has a justified um, a justified as a beacon of democracy because it has always been able to hold elections and transfer power from one president to another until Macky Sall came along and started interfering. So the decline in the fragile state index that, that Senegal has seen is really the legacy of Macky Sall's presidency. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we trot through what's been happening in the news, can we lighten up just a little bit? Because take a listen to this. Brown skin girl, that skin just like pearls, the best thing about the world. 
So big shout out to Nigeria, Tara, because we've seen Nigerian artists Wizkid and Beyonce net a Grammy for their music video of the song we've just played, Brown Skin Girl. Now, as well as being a fabulous tune, it's also a really, really good exercise in visibility. And I say that as a mum of a little person of colour. Positive imagery is so important and a real counterpoint to some of the uh, more way out videos, shall we say, that perhaps mummies and daddies don't want their kids to see. Yes, it's a beautiful video. It smashes through all the stereotypes of music videos that you would expect to see. And it's absolutely visually beautiful. So I, I second that and recommend everybody have a look and indeed a shout out to Nigeria. You're listening to The Ark Insider, the Africa-focused podcast with Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. Now, our guest on the podcast this week is a leading figure in the world of East African law, finance and trade. Sonal Sejpal wears a number of different hats. She helped to establish East Africa's largest legal practice, ALN Kenya, and she's been a staunch advocate for women in the law and now chairs the British Chamber of Commerce in Kenya at a time when Kenya and the former colonial power are trying to consolidate ties. Welcome, Sonal. Welcome to the Ark Insider. You're in Nairobi at the moment, right? That's right. Yes, it's a nice sunny morning here in Nairobi. It's lovely to talk to you. I'm speaking to you from South Africa. Uh, Tara, I know, on the other line in France. Yes, uh, welcome, Sonal. Welcome to our podcast. Well, we've got a lot to talk about and it's hard really to know where to begin. But I guess the the obvious starting point, Sonal, has to be business in Kenya in the time of of COVID-19. Maybe I, I'll start off with agriculture, which is clearly a big um, contributor to our GDP. It has reportedly done really well. The sectors uh, I'm referring to are in relation to tea production, export of fruits and sugarcane have increased. I think overall, I, I read a figure of 6.3 percent higher in 2020 than in 2019, which, which, which is great. You know, we, we still are suffering from the locust crisis, which, uh, you know, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization, was the worst desert locust crisis in over 25 years to hit the Horn of Africa. And, you know, Kenya uh, did suffer from that. Um, but despite that, to post that kind of growth in, in a COVID year, I think has been um, really fantastic. Tech and online retail, like other countries, again, has, has witnessed um, uh, an accelerated growth in Kenya. We're obviously helped because of our M-Pesa currency, uh, the mobile wallet, which is ubiquitous. Um, everyone uses M-Pesa or, or a similar mobile currency like M-Pesa uh, for, you know, buying groceries, um, paying your electricity bills, paying your school fees and um, paying your staff. And then We've had interesting offers of online facilities from healthcare businesses, such as online pharmacies that have cropped up and telemedicine companies that give online consultations, which is which is great. And then we've had, I mean, for anyone that has visited Kenya in the last few years, you you you'll all have seen the massive amount of development, you know, infrastructure, commercial space, residential space, um, you know, just driving from the airport at JKIA into the center of Nairobi, you will have seen that um kind of 
development. Um, and that did stop for a, you know um, maybe the set the first uh, the second and third quarter of last year, but um, has continued to accelerate in in the last quarter and and this year. So I think a, a good indicator of that is the volume of cement apparently has increased um, by twenty or so percent uh, in twenty twenty compared to twenty nineteen. And lastly, as far as winners are concerned, I think domestic tourism. You know, tourism has always been a big contributor to GDP on the international front um, for Kenya, but. Very few Kenyans, surprisingly, had ever thought about going to see the wildebeest migration, you know, one of the natural wonders of the world. Um, They would think about going on holiday to Dubai and London, but, you know, not often to the Masai Mara. That's interesting because that might help build confidence because Kenya's tourism industry was hit quite badly because of security concerns as well, you know, particularly in places like the coastal areas and down in Lamu and stuff. So in a way, the sort of despite COVID, the fact that confidence is being built among the domestic tourism market, you know, might that help to get international travellers back? I hope so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the Lamu incident you know, was was several years ago now. And um, since then, tourism really did pick up on the international front in 2018 and 2019. Um, so 2020 was really um, skated to be, you know, uh, you know, imp- improving on, on those numbers. Um, so, yeah, let, let, let's hope the confidence will return. We're already starting to see um, some ultra-rich uh, people jetting in on their private jets to uh, a place I was lucky enough to visit a few weeks ago. What I'm hearing is that the super-rich are enjoying the luxury of private uh, travel on their private jets, and then they book out you know, whole camps for, for, for themselves and their families and friends. And uh, Kenya is, is supposed to be uh, a very nice interlude from, you know, the tier four restrictions in London. Tara and I are planning our next retreat. <laughs> yes, I love it. Puts a whole new meaning on work from home, doesn't it? When home is Lamu or somewhere out in Naivasha. It really is. A, it's a, I've, I know so many people's... Um, you know, sons and daughters who have come back from there, uh, you know, they came back for Christmas and stayed because their employers in, in the UK agreed to them working from home in Kenya. And they've absolutely loved it. You know, businesses are really looking at a post COVID world now, aren't they? When we spoke last year, I recall that uh, you were quite stunned by by the absolute impact that the lockdown was having. But now a year later, uh, Kenya seems to be in a fairly um, prime position to be able to um, come out of the COVID crisis fairly strongly. Yeah, I think that's right, Tara. I mean, what, what's interesting about Kenya is the, and I think we spoke early on in, in March or April when, when we just had our restrictions imposed. Uh, we started working from home, like most countries, um, and there was obviously a ban on international travel. Restaurants, schools, um, hotels were, were essentially shut. Uh, what happened was soon after 
uh, instead of a, a sort of lockdown, what we've had for some time now is um, a curfew. So we have a, a 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. curfew, uh, which has meant that many businesses that would ordinarily have had to, you know, shut their doors have managed to survive, you know, with those um, number of hours that they, they've been allowed to be open. But not having a lockdown, I think, has really helped businesses and, and the economy generally. Obviously, your other hat is head of the British Chamber of Commerce in Kenya. There's a new trade deal in Kenya, um, the Kenya-UK Economic Partnership. It's a 25-year arrangement, I understand, very much with trade at its core. Can you give us an idea of what this will mean in practice? And is this a kind of uh, a way of protecting yourself against the excesses of Brexit? Yeah, so I think uh, both uh, the UK and Kenya are really excited about what this, um, the EPA, as, as it's called, uh, means for, for both. In effect, it's a replacement of what Kenya had with the EU. What's important about it is that it provides a framework for the East African community as a whole. So even though Kenya has signed it as Kenya, it is open and and both countries are are hoping that the other countries within the East African community will sign up to it. So in practice, what it means is uh, the UK committing to providing an immediate duty-free, quota-free access to imported goods from Kenya and Kenya committing to a gradual tariff liberalization of goods. What, what's interesting is that Kenyans will continue to enjoy duty-free export to the UK post-Brexit. Um, it will enhance privileges for agricultural goods and confer originating status to exports from the East African community, including uh, for Kenya, obviously, the flowers that, that we produce um, and, and fresh produce, even if they pass through any of the EU countries. What's also interesting about that, Sonal, isn't it, is that it's kind of more bilateralism. You know, you've actually got a bilateral deal with, um, here you have uh, Kenya as the leading member of the East African community, but nevertheless engaging in bilateral deals with America and the UK. What do you think it ha- what implications will it have for the East Africa community? You know, um, it's it's interesting, and I, I I guess the the difference here is that Kenya is the only non least developed country in the EAC, uh, and and I think for that reason, um, unlike our partners in the EAC our exports would have been subject to duties um, from from January 2021. And some of the concessions that are available to the least developed countries within the EAC would not have been available to us. And so I think there, there was a, a, a real drive to ensure that we weren't going to be uh, left behind or uh, particularly hit by not having uh, a, a trade agreement. So can we ask a little more about regional relations? I know we've just focused on bilateral relations, but Kenya and Tanzania have been at odds for quite some time over a dispute 
uh, about maize and Kenya has now shut its borders to its neighbour. How seriously should this kind of rift be taken? I, I, I think the things are have been tricky. Um, but, you know, I think Kenya realises the importance of the East African community. And I think that these sorts of uh, trade wars, you know, it was chicks, you know, baby chicks last year. And this year, it's it's the levels of uh, mycotoxins in, in maize that uh, caused the, the most recent um, trade war. These things... Uh, is is it is it about trade or is there sort of a a subtext to this? Is it is it a political rivalry between the two countries because they are now going in very different directions? I I I don't I'd like to think it's not political. I think it, it is trade for the reason that I think Kenya certainly sees um, the enormous advantage that the EAC working together can have, uh, and and has always been a, a proponent of. Um, EAC and I think, for instance, take the Rwanda-Kenya relationships. You know, the the ability for Kenyans to go and work in Rwanda uh, without getting a permit is what the EAC is all about. You know, free movement mm-hmm. of people and goods, etc. Um, which which has not been possible with with everyone in the EAC. And and um, I think you know the the, the relationship with the Tanzania has has been. Um, uh, tricky from that perspective. We've just celebrated International Women's Day, and I'm actually always struck. You, you have, as a ALN network, have managed to, um, you know, have a very high quota of senior women, uh, women leadership with amongst your group. And how have you done that? And what are the lessons for other law firms looking at transforming in this way? Yeah, you know, I have to confess this this didn't happen because we we set out to achieve gender uh, diversity. I have to admit that when we started our Nairobi office back in 2000, it was me and, you know, four, 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 four men. And um, what happened is that organically we grew. We decided to recruit from the University of Nairobi and sort of train lawyers from, from fresh out of university. And what we found is that women were so much uh, more determined and committed and passionate and, and clever uh, in comparison to, to some of their male <laughs> counterparts. You seem surprised. You seem surprised. <laughs> We are going to get hollers of terrible sexism from all over the world if we hope so. Because we we have achieved, you know, sort of fast tracking forward. We're we're the largest firm in the region with over 100 lawyers. Um, We're actually very balanced. We have, I think, 53% women and and, and the rest are men. Uh, And even in the partnership, we're sort of gender balanced you know very gender balanced uh and 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 the head of our hr he will laugh when he he listens to this i mean he he joined us a few years ago he says well i don't have much to do in this um direction because you really have achieved what most people um 
you know, have have a, a very clear policies to try and achieve. Um, so no, we're we're very proud of of, of our gender diversity and um, even religious diversity. You know, our our partnership is made up of people from all walks of life, from all racial backgrounds. And uh, it's something that uh, I think is, is, is stands us out. And that's a reflection of education in Kenya, surely. You know, one of the things that Tara and I talk about so often is the, um, the focus and the priority that's given to education in Kenya. Obviously, it's not achievable for everybody, but it's certainly when you look at comparisons with other parts of the continent, and I'm choosing my words very carefully, uh, it is definitely a priority. You know, many households are led by women, right? Um, and, and, and I think that's generally um, the case. I mean, uh, I, I'm not breaching any confidences when I tell you that uh, we, we had a, a, an internal event for, for the women in our firm uh, last, uh, last week. And um, when, when we were speaking about the, uh, the, the, the problems that women have to deal with, particularly during COVID in terms of childcare when schools are shut and essentially taking up um, a disproportionate amount of their time um, has to go to these um, uh, non-paid jobs that women have of, you know, childcare and cooking and cleaning and, um, you know, tending to sick uh, relatives. Um, You know, I, I made the point that this isn't a COVID issue. I mean, throughout my career, um, I always wished, and I said it to my male partners in the past, uh, I always wished that I had a wife at home because they, they, their wives were sorting out the kids and, you know, taking their kids to university and dealing with the household repairs that needed to be done and needed their presence, you know, and it's just impossible when, when you're a, a woman sometime. And when you're not as privileged as as uh, as some of us are uh and we don't have you don't have the kind of domestic help that is available in in a country like Kenya it it is obviously even more difficult um to 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 juggle um but but education certainly is is a massive part it's 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 a reason why you know one of our daily uh, newspapers reported uh not so long ago that it's a reason why many kenyan women choose to be single mothers and rely on themselves rather than having to look after uh a man in the house as well as children and on that note i think so now we will we will Accept all the sort of donuts that get thrown at us. <laughs> but I think they're very points, very important points that need to be aired as often as possible um, in the in the wake of International Women's Day. And thank week. you so much, Sonal Sefal. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Sonal, very much. And we will look forward to welcoming you back when the statistics have actually even gone higher in terms of equality, gender equality, etc. <laughs> You've been listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen, and Tara O'Connor. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested, Tara's team at Ark produces a daily chronology of events, as well as reports and briefings about the region. You can sign up for these at info at Consulting. that's all one word, dot com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. 
Bye for now.